Okay, I'm going to talk mainly about the Paris Agreement. I could answer questions about the Marrakesh um, meeting a few weeks ago, but it wasn't, frankly, very interesting. So it's really the... Um, it was mainly dominated by talk about what Trump would do, um, and nobody knew, including Donald Trump. So um, I'm going to focus on the Paris Accord. Um, the Paris Accord was a game-changer in a number of ways. Um, many of you will heard, have heard some of them, notably the one about increasing ambition, going to 1.5 degrees rather than 2 degrees, which, as somebody mentioned just now, I think, and yesterday Kevin Anderson would have mentioned it, if we go to 1.5 degrees, we probably only have a carbon budget of about six years' worth um, to stand a good chance. But other important things were things like the agreement is applicable to all countries, so it doesn't divide countries up into developed and developing. There is recognition of developed and developing, but it, all countries need to work towards the goal. And it sets up a process of regular reviews of progress towards the goal, which is important, especially in UN processes. You need mandates to keep going back to things. Applicable to all, this was mainly an American ask um, to keep the Obama administration in um, because previously the Kyoto Protocol had failed largely on the fact um, that the Republican administration didn't think it was right to have the US and Europe in one parliament agreement and <clears throat> all of the other countries, notably China, in another sort of agreement. Um, it was not very welcome, and countries argued over this right through to the end, um, but that's eventually what they decided. Having said that, it does recognize that different countries have different capabilities for acting on climate change, and that developed countries should take the lead um, because they have the most resources to do so, and that they should pay money to developing countries um, to help them, especially least developed countries um, and alliance of small island states who are always, almost always, least developed countries. So that was a United States ask in particular. And it's important because the way Laurent Fabius, the French foreign minister, got the treaty together very cleverly was to basically give all the countries and blocs what they really wanted. And that was what the United States really wanted. I won't go into what it actually says, actually. The new global goal was the least developed country and alliance of small island states ask. And we did wonder why at the end of the first week they'd stop pushing on other things, and this was why. They got the thing they really, really wanted, a 1.5 degree goal. Um, so that's significantly better than the two degree goal in terms of the impacts of climate change. Um, and it's not clear how we get to it. It will certainly be challenging. So the Paris Agreement also asked the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, that's the UN's climate science body, to look at how you would do that. And they will report back um, about the middle of 2018 on precisely how you would do that. And a group has already been formed. It's run by a lady called Telma Krug, who incidentally used to be the Brazilian lead on forests. Um, so hopefully it'll have something on the use of forests in the Paris Agreement. 
Um, okay, how are we doing so far? Nearly all countries have put in nationally determined contributions, or rather intended nationally determined contributions, which we hope they will revise later. These cover nearly all human-induced emissions, including those from land use, in particular deforestation, um, forest degradation, which is about of a quarter of all emissions. So forests are terribly important in the new agreement. If they carry out exactly what they say they will, that will keep global average temperature to about 2.7 degrees, perhaps a bit more. That's better than the doing nothing scenario, um, or rather doing what we're doing at the moment, which takes us to three, four, or five degrees Celsius. But we'll have to do an awful lot more to get to 1.5 degrees. Um, let's say the, the global carb budget of CO2 is about 3,000 billion tons of carbon dioxide. We've used most of that. <clears throat> um, and we've only got about 100 billion left. And as I'm sure Kevin said yesterday, to get to 1.5 degrees, we've only got about 200 billion left, which will last us five or six years. So we need to cut emissions sharply, but we aren't. Um, and we probably won't in six years, let's be honest. We will not go to zero emissions in six years. Um, so it will be necessary to extract carbon dioxide actively from the atmosphere in order to get there. Um, and we will need to go below zero by 2050, probably. That's the sort of rough goal. And we need to be on the, the blue line at the bottom. And it probably needs to be a bit steeper than that. And that would include removals from the atmosphere starting in about 10 years. Implications for EU and UK, because um, the UK still negotiates as part of the EU group. Um, we would need in Europe um, an emission reduction in 2050 of about 95 to minus 115, i.e. more than 100% removals by 2050. Um, probably more from the UK, Germany, and the more advanced countries, and it'll be really, really hard. Um, so as I say, we need to remove carbon dioxide, and that's an IPCC scenario, and we need really to be on the... Uh, whoops. On the line, the little dotted line that at the bottom, but certainly on the broad sort of brownie-purple band. Um, there was a lot of concerns about net zero, some of which were raised by the previous speaker. Um, in most emission pathways that the modelers use, they use carbon dioxide removals on a very large scale. And the problem with that is it takes land that is already used for something else, either food production or um, wildlife, both of which have been touched on earlier. Um, a lot of the land take is more than about a billion hectares, which is ridiculous. Um, um, and some of them are even more ridiculous, bearing in mind that the Earth's land surface area is only 13 billion hectares. So 
as non-governmental organizations, we've been looking at different ways of doing this because it's a concern to the biodiversity groups like us and WWF. And in a way, it's even more of a concern to the development groups, the Oxfam's Christian AIDS and so on um, because of the food security problem. Um, <clears throat> so we're actively looking at ways of doing that, as are many of the scientists. Um, I mentioned stock taking, first big stock take, the Paris Agreement will be in 2018, when the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change will also report back. Um, and there'll be what they call a facilitative dialogue, which hopefully will mean everyone ramping up ambition even more. Um, and it's hoped that countries will ramp up their pledges. Climate Change Committee in the UK have already said we need a much more stringent target than the 80% by 2050 that we have at the moment. And the government have actually agreed to that, which is nice. Um, I won't go into the more reviews because it's not very exciting. The chap in the middle of is Laurent Fabius, um, who chaired the process. And I say, he was extremely skillful at it. The woman in the check jacket um, is Christiana Fergueras, who was the head of the secretariat, um, who has now been replaced by another lady who used to be the environment minister for Mexico. A couple of little bits. Um, certainly from an NGO point of view, there's a lot on recognizing the importance of the conservation and enhancement of natural sinks and reservoirs of greenhouse gases, um, <clears throat> on protection of biodiversity, and also sustainable lifestyles and patterns of consumption, which is all good stuff. There's a lot of stuff on forests. Um, there's a whole article on forests, in fact, um, which is really good. This was a proposal originally pushed by Papua New Guinea but backed up by most countries with large tropical forests. Um, and also on money. Um, they still haven't raised the total amount of money that the developed countries promised to give the developing countries, which is at least 100 billion US dollars by 2020. And that's a sort of ongoing argument. Because if you're going to pay not just for adaptation, but also mitigation of climate change, you probably need more money than that. <clears throat> And that's it. Um, I did have another slide, actually, on ecosystem restoration licenses in Indonesia, so I could do that as well, if you like. But anyway, that'll do for the time being. Thank you. <clears throat> <clears throat>